Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege, this incredible honor of gathering together this morning, Father, on a day that you've ordained for our edification. Father, thank you for truth that sets us free. Thank you for your patience as we continue to learn it. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, and of course, your love. Father, special thanks go out this morning for your divine providence in Frank Westcott's promotion. We thank you for allowing us to know him. Uh, we're so grateful to be able to celebrate him this afternoon. Our prayers go out to his family and survivors, of course. Father, we're so grateful also for those people in the congregation, and we pray for those that couldn't be with us here this morning for a variety of reasons. We pray also for those that are still lost in this world, that they might be saved. We might have additional family in heaven. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a celebration like this morning a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, part 13 of the Lord is our confidence. Let's start off with a Psalm of David, a familiar one. It's a good way to kick off this morning. Go to Psalm 23, verse 1. Psalm 23, verse 1. <clears throat> I alluded to this passage this past week uh, with that book, A Shepherd Looks at um, Psalm 23. This is the psalm in question. Psalm 23, verse 1. David wrote this. <clears throat> the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We're going to get back to that. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I was thinking about Psalm 23. Todd, does he need a Bible or what? Yeah, he's all set. All right. I was thinking about Psalm 23 uh, this morning, not just because we've been looking at it uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks, but also because of all the good work we've done on uh, shepherding and what have you. Also the confidence and the humility that David um, reveals to us in Holy Scripture. So I've been contemplating our messages as well. Remember, our message title is, The Lord is Our Confidence. Um, and I was thinking about this series title even on Friday morning. You might be surprised how much progress 
the Lord can make if you spend a little time pondering even message titles. I want you to know that the Spirit doesn't allow me to just flippantly name these messages. Uh, he makes me listen to Him very closely. And honestly, uh, in many cases, I end up changing the title. I start out one way, and based on the nature and the course of the, the series or the, uh, the opening lesson, I end up changing the name. And so these names are very carefully chosen. And as you know, it's the Lord is our confidence. So here's the thought I had on Friday. And just as a side note, I'm going to warn you this morning, um, there's a lot of moving parts. And there's... Um, well, we'll see how this works out. Uh, just a side note before we get into this. Confidence. I'm going to use the word confidence um, a lot this morning. I want you to know that confidence is a generic term. So start that way this morning. Confidence is a generic. Most people think of the term confidence, you know this. The world will tell you it has something to do with bravado or, um, you know, something always having to do with increase this or larger that or being even better somehow, that that's what it means to be confident. But confidence is a generic word. It doesn't just mean that thing or those things. Confidence simply means that you have a certain level of assurance that an object is able to do something. Again, this is the generic term I want you to think about for starters this morning. Confidence simply means that you have a certain level of assurance that an object is able to do something. That object might be a person, of course, but it might be something else as well. You have a certain confidence even in the, the roof over your head. You have a certain confidence that, um, even in the negative sense, Maybe you did when you were a child, you had a certain confidence that if you got out of line, your parents would discipline you. Is that not confidence as well? You bet. And so confidence is not always this bravado thing where it's chest puffing and it makes you bigger or larger or better somehow. For example, up here on the board, the source of confidence. We have confidence in the things we fear the most. Think about that. We have confidence in the things we fear the most. Ask yourself, why would we have confidence in them in the absence of fear? Hmm. We have confidence that there's something to fear and respect, something real and powerful. And a great example, of course, is God. Is God. We are told in the Bible over and over again to fear God. At the end of it, Ecclesiastes 12, at the end of it, that's what Solomon concludes. At the end of this, fear God and keep His commandments. So you might say, well, what's the connective tissue back to confidence? Again, we have confidence in the things we fear the most. A lot of people don't think that way. They think lopsidedly about confidence that it is really about just how much better or larger or increased you might be. Ask yourself, why would we have 
confidence in these things in the absence of fear. We have confidence that there's something to fear and respect, something real and powerful. For example, God. So reflect with this on your mind. Why are young children, you ever noticed this? Why are young children so fearless? Why is there a correlation between the carefree attitude of some parents and their children's fearlessness? Why are some kids so confident and others so timid? I mean, is there a way for us to ponder the source of confidence in life? And I'm speaking generically. How do we go about finding the source of our confidence? And how does that relate to something as simple and um, as simple as childhood and, and the fearlessness most of us had when we were young? Is there a way for us to ponder the source of confidence in life, generically even? I think so, but as always, it requires perspective, good perspective from the source of goodness, the Word of God. Again, the point on the board, the source of confidence. We have confidence in the things we fear the most. Let's just stop with that. Digest it. Let it sink in. We have confidence in the things we fear the most. A young child is fearless to a fault because they don't know all they should even be fearful of. A young child is fearless to a fault because they're missing something, you see. They don't have enough experience to know that the thing they're about to do can cause real injury to their person. They haven't learned what appropriate fear is yet. And the key word in that sentence, of course, is learned. They haven't learned yet. Up here on the board. Fear is a learned behavior. Fear is a learned behavior. Injury is an experience something we learn about once injured we have cause for fear anyone or anything that is able to harm us becomes a source of fear again fear is a learned behavior injury is an experience something we learn about once injured we have cause for fear anyone or anything that is able to harm us becomes a source of fear I always like to use the finger in the socket example when you're a little kid. The parent says, don't stick your finger in the socket. What's the kid do? Literally sticks his finger in the socket until he remembers, oh, that hurt. Mom and dad tried to stop you, but how many of us listen? No, really. How many of us listen to the warnings given to us by those who know better? Probably this, right? Probably the goose egg. We all test the waters at least a little bit. Why? Because we need that experience in our, in our portfolio of experiences so that we have a fear of that thing that can injure us in the future. So fear is a learned behavior. You learn to respect certain things and even certain people. And in the sense of God, God, 
You learn to fear the Lord. The Bible teaches us to fear rightly, lest the kingdom of darkness get to us first and skew our world with boogeymen and such. Go to Luke 12, verse 4. Luke 12, verse 4. So we're going to focus on this for a moment here this morning. Luke 12, verse 4. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. Verse 5. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And of course, he's talking about the Lord God. What is the right fear that we would have in this world? Well, it's the exact opposite of what the kingdom of darkness will try to teach you. It's fear God. David, the same person who wrote Psalm 23 that we read at the start of class, understood this point from Jesus. Go to Psalm 27, verse 1. Psalm 27, verse 1. So Jesus said, don't be afraid of mere man. Be afraid of the one who can cast into hell. David understood this. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Almost rhetorical questions there. When evildoers come or came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. And it's okay to tie that back to our series title. The Lord is our confidence. This is what we see in David. In spite of this, in spite of all these things, I shall be confident. We might even say in the context of this morning's message, when we learn to fear rightly, our confidence is in the Lord. When we learn to fear rightly, the way Jesus suggested, as we just read in Luke, our confidence is in the Lord. Verse 4, One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Where did David want to be? In the house of the Lord. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. So you see, to dwell in the house of the Lord means to abide in the blanket of His protection. Again, the point on the board. Fear is a learned behavior. Injury is an experience, something we learn about. Once injured, we have cause for fear. Anyone or anything that is able to harm us becomes a source of fear. 
What's a greater harm than being cast into the lake of fire? Nothing. So Jesus warned us and warns us to fear him who is able to do that thing. David said, who am I going to fear other than the Lord? I want to be in his house. That's what really matters to me. So I was thinking about that, and I invite you to do the same. It's really not much different than any sense of security we might have found in our youth, in our earthly homes. This dwelling in the house of the Lord. What was that thing that David was after? He obviously feared the Lord. What was he after, though? He obviously did not fear man. He understood man, but he didn't fear man in an unhealthy way. And if you think about it, this idea of dwelling in the house of the Lord, it's not that much different uh, when we think of security that we found in our earthly homes. We knew that if our, or we knew that our parents, let's put it this way, if and when they were good. Now, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to work with the, a righteous family here. I know a lot of you are like, yeah, but my family was terrible. I get it. We knew that our parents, if and when they were good, and every parent has good days and bad days, we knew that they would protect us. So it was good to go home, in other words. It was good to dwell in that household where we were protected. We existed in an envelope of comfort based on knowing that fears from without, from outside the house, were extinguished at the perimeter of our household by those protecting us. In other words, we felt a sense of security on the inside of our home. And that's what David was saying. I just want to dwell in the house of the Lord because that's where I feel safest. I fear him, but at the same time, it's that same level of confidence that I have in what he can do to me that forms the perimeter. It's the same confidence I have in him as a person, you see? So if we were, and some of you have to imagine this, but if we were to be in a good household with good parents, we exist in an envelope of comfort based on knowing that fears from without are extinguished at the perimeter of that household. In other words, when abiding inside the household of our earthly lords, those in charge over us, we found comfort. Even so, even so, from within the household, we feared those with lordship over us. For example, our parents or guardians. And that's rightly so. So the fear from without stays out there, but there's a healthy fear on the inside. If we got out of line, we were punished. For as the Bible clearly states up here on the board, Hebrews uh, 13, 7, it is for discipline that you endure. Actually, it should be 12, 7. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? 
I think there's one of the one of the most undermining things you can ever do to a child is not discipline them. The message you're sending is you don't care enough to actually see them through. You don't care enough to actually oppose their own flesh when they're out of line. That's a terrible message to send to a child. And sometimes, like the Bible says, it does take us, you know, a smack, some pain, a switch or whatever, a rod. He who, you know, spares the rod spoils the child. That's the Holy Bible speaking, not me. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? Therein lies the dichotomy of a good household. This is the point the Spirit's making first off. And think about what Jesus said, and think about what David said about his desire to dwell in the household of the Lord. We are protected from without, but exposed from within. We are protected from without, but exposed from within. We shall not fear those outside of the household, but rather those in charge on the inside. Fear is learned this way, when it is right. When it is right. That is how appropriate fear is learned. And just as a little side note, if you read this week's blog, emotional salvation isn't enough. When bad things infect households, the security blanket that God has intended to exist for children is compromised. As many of you can attest, this kind of dysfunction in the home wreaks awful havoc. So I'm not discounting the fact that many of us had pretty crappy childhoods in terms of good parenting or you know, being raised up in the faith and having a healthy fear. And this is the point the Spirit's making. I need you to concentrate because without, that health, without right fear or fear in its right place, you're insecure. You don't have the confidence that you should have, that God intended for you to have. That's what the world has done, though, to households. They say, well, if you discipline your kid, or God forbid you even lay a hand on him nowadays, right? You're creating an insecure little person. No, you're not. It's literally the exact opposite. You need to be building them up at any point. At any, it doesn't matter if they, if they, if, it doesn't matter what they do. Just keep building them up and saying they're awesome. What a way to set a child up for a horrible existence. At that point, they have to get their confidence from where else? Outside the house. Fear and confidence are like kin, you see. Okay, back to our key principles. Again, the scripture on the table, uh, you still in Psalm 27, 4, right? All right, verse 4. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, 
You see, this is David, the humble one. The one who said, who, who am I supposed to fear here? I fear God. And because of that, that I may dwell. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. You mean to tell us, David, that you want to dwell in the house, not just know about God, but abide in the house, reside in the house of the one that you fear the most? Yes. Yes, because that's where I feel the most confident. That's where I'm the most confident about my very existence. We can learn a lot from David. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. In order to share David's confidence in the Lord, we too must seek to dwell in his house up here on the board. The source of confidence, again, coming full circle here, we have confidence in the things we fear the most. Ask yourself, why would we have confidence in them if, in the absence of fear? If I had no fear, no healthy fear of the Lord God, where's my confidence in Him? We have confidence that there's something to fear and respect, something real and powerful. God. Again, up here on the board. Fear is a learned behavior. Injury is an experience, something we learn about. Once injured, we have cause for fear. Anyone or anything that is able to harm us becomes a source of fear. What the Spirit's teaching us here is that confidence is a function of fear. Let that sink in. And remember to apply the generic definition for confidence here. Confidence isn't always chest beating. It's not being improved or increased or enlarged or made better. That's the world selling you a lie. That's a half-truth. There could be that kind of confidence in your life. But it has to exist in a balanced manner. Again, confidence is a function of fear. In the case of the Lord being our confidence... The Bible teaches us dogmatically up here on the board. Without first fearing the Lord appropriately, not that perverted fear the Roman Catholics teach, the one where you think God's just got your number and all you got to do is just run fast enough to keep away from His heavy hand or His wrath, that that's all He is, that that's why you should be afraid that if you don't please him well enough, you're going to go to some fictitious place called purgatory. And hopefully, uh, you know, uh, Grandma Ruthie or whoever survives you is going to pray enough to get you out of there. What kind of garbage is that? Of all the Christian religions, now, that's not even a Christian religion. Of all the religions that have a cross on there, they are the most insecure people I've ever known. Hands down. I don't mind saying it either, because it's a bunch of lies. It's just a big old pile of lies. Unhealthy fear. All right, with that out of the way. Without first fearing the Lord appropriately, we are destitute of confidence. If you know the Lord, you will fear Him. 
Amen? Aha. So if you don't have fear, it means you don't know him. If you don't know him, where's your confidence going to be? Without first fearing the Lord appropriately, we are destitute of confidence. The very best we could hope for is confidence in the flesh, which is hope minus substance. Go to Philippians 3, 1. Philippians 3, verse 1. Again, without fearing first the Lord appropriately, we are destitute of confidence. The very best we could hope for is confidence in the flesh. Go to Philippians 3, 1. And that, my friends, is a recipe for disaster. Is a recipe for insecurity. All the showiness, the chest beating, all that stuff is vapid of any real substance. And it always fails us. Philippians 3.1 Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and if and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence, none, not a little, not sort of, kind of, put no confidence in the flesh. That's a form of safeguarding you. That's what Paul's saying. You want to be insecure? You want to lack confidence? Put confidence in the flesh. You want to have supernatural confidence? Put your confidence in the Lord. Be like David. Seek to dwell in the house of the Lord. Again, the point on the board is this. Confidence is a function of fear. Without first fearing the Lord appropriately, we are destitute of confidence. The very best we could hope for is confidence in the flesh, which is hope minus substance. We just saw that in Philippians 3.3, part B. Put no confidence in the flesh. In the absence of appropriate fear of the Lord, we are destitute of confidence. This is so much of what the Spirit's been developing in our souls over the past few weeks. And I really do honestly hope you don't miss it. This is really important stuff. We're, um, we're literally, if, if I was to get through my notes today, which I probably won't, this is the end of the series. That's it. It's closed up already. So this is really a summary message this morning about all the things we've learned over the past, what, 12 parts. In the absence of appropriate fear of the Lord, we are destitute of confidence. This is so much of what the Spirit's been developing in our souls. So let's come at this from a different angle now, because some of you might already have some questions percolating up in your souls. Like, are you saying that we ought to live in fear of anything able to harm us? Up here on the board. It's true, fear is a learned behavior. Shall we live in fear of all things injurious to our person then? May it never be. 
We shall only live in the fear of God. There's a big difference. We just saw Jesus say that. Don't fear the one who can even hurt you. There's an earthly fear there. I get it. You're not going to say, oh, I'm just going to fear the Lord and you can punch me. That's not what's being said here. We're trying to put things into perspective. We're looking for a certain confidence, are we not? That's what we've been after. And there's a big difference between where or if we derive that confidence from fleshly or godly means, or by fleshly or by godly means. Go, uh, actually, i got Psalm up here on the board. Psalm 27.1, remember? We just read this. <clears throat> the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? I want to be inside the house because I know that the Lord will protect me from without. If I abandon the house of the Lord and I just go out on my own, say, that's okay, you can keep your salvation, you can keep your deliverance, I'm going to venture out on my own. You've basically set yourself up for every kind of attack in a life filled with insecurity, anxiety, etc., etc. And we can do that experientially, can't we? We think God sleeps sometimes. Hmm, you look at your watch, it's like, it's midnight. Dad's asleep. I'm going to sneak out the window and have a, a gale time tonight. We do that experientially, right? And we wonder why we come crawling into a church like on a Sunday morning, like insecure, anxious, uh, a, a, a train wreck. Uh, you know, last night you were crying yourself to sleep. You, you know what I'm saying. Venturing outside of the house doesn't work. That's the point. If you want to sow insecurity and anxiety in your life, give it a whirl. I've been there. I'm still so stupid. I still do it sometimes. Right? Am I the only one? You guys are looking at me like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Go to 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. Venturing outside the house, the, not to get poetic, but the warm embrace of our Lord, our Father in heaven, is about the stupidest thing we could possibly do. It's amazing what we expect to find out there. <laughs> but it's the, light, it's, the, it's the finger in the light socket thing, isn't it? God says, hey, stay in here, you're all set. What do we do? Do you sleep yet? Right? Jump out the window, fall into a pit, then guess what you got to do? You got to call dad. That just reminded me of me. That just reminded me of a time when I was a kid with Art Morton. He and uh, his, his son, we had to call him up one time because our truck was in a ditch. Because we went down the power lines. Oh! Oh! I, I probably doesn't even remember that. <laughs> I do. I was scared. Anyways, I digress. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Again, the point up here on the board, fear is a learned behavior. Shall we live in fear of all the things injurious to our person? Then 
may it never be. We shall only live in the fear of God. There's a big, big difference. So here's the thing. Just sit back for a moment and think about your own life. We do a lot of introspection here. We do a lot of self-examination here, which is a very healthy thing to do. Fear is among the greatest indicators of spiritual health that we've got. I'm talking about appropriately held fear. Fear is among the greatest indicators of spiritual health that we've got. We must uh, contemplate this closely. The qualifying feature of said fear is that it is for the Lord. It's a good indicator of where we are spiritually. How much, to what degree, do we fear the Lord? And then if we put that on the chopping block, if we put that here, how does that compare to all the other ungodly fear we might have in our life? If we put them side by side, which one is even greater? So fear is a great indicator of spiritual health. But that fear, the qualifying feature of that fear has to be fear of the Lord. Worldly, fleshly, misplaced fear leads to insecurity. Godly fear, fear of the Lord, leads to confidence. Worldly fear, insecurity. Godly fear, confidence. You need to keep repeating this to yourself, pondering it, whatever it takes until you get it. I beg you on that point. All right, so let's step back again now. Consider our previous conclusion up here on the board. The dichotomy of a good household. We are protected from without, but exposed from within. Fear is framed this way in order to protect us. To, quote, dwell in the house of the Lord, a la Psalm 27.4, is to live comfortably and confidently. Again, that's the dichotomy of a good household. We are protected from without, but exposed from within. We're protected from ungodly fear from without. But there certainly is a fear on the inside. Fear is framed this way in order to protect us. To dwell in the house of the Lord is to live comfortably and confidently. And that is what we're after. 2 Samuel 24, 14, Psalm 41, 4, 51, 3 to 4, Psalm 23, we already read. David knew this all too well, which is why he expressed his gratitude for the Lord. Even, this is how a good child views a good parent. David expressed and knew all too well these things and expressed his gratitude for the Lord even when he was disoriented to him. After sinning against the Lord, David said the following. Go to 2 Samuel 24, 14. 2 Samuel 24, 14. After sinning against the Lord, remember David's heart was to dwell in the house of the Lord. So apparently, 
David sinned, and this is his response to it. We don't need to get into the details of the context here. Let's just look for his heart. 2 Samuel 24, 14. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. We know who David feared more than anyone. He feared the Lord. But yet, who did he choose as his disciplinarian? Who was his choice? Because God actually gave him the choice. You want me to discipline or you want people from the world to discipline you? And he said, do not let me fall into the hand of man. <laughs> he said, I'd rather take it from you. And he knew God has a much bigger hand, is infinitely more powerful, but because he was rightly oriented, because he feared him appropriately, because he wanted to dwell in his house, he said, I'll take your justice every day. Because that's where he's confident. Look at David had a healthy fear and respect for the Lord because he knew his justice would be perfect. In other words, David had this confidence. He had a confidence, you see. He did not, however, have this same confidence regarding man's justice. Hence, we often see David's dialogue being directly with the Lord in times of distress and disorientation. That should be the same with all of us. Even when we sin against another person, our first offense really is to the Lord, not even the other person. Go to Psalm 41, verse 4. When David sinned, he always went to the Lord. That's what we see. Psalm 41, verse 4. David said, As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. People died because of David. Hmm. In a roundabout way, he had someone's husband murdered. Hmm. And who's he addressing here? O Lord, be gracious to me, heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. We can learn a lot from David. A lot from David. Go to Psalm 51, verse 3. Psalm 51, verse 3. We can learn a lot from David. Just look at his perspective. Where did he always return to? He always, not to play too long on that visual, but he always climbed back in through the window at the end of the night, you know, tore up, a mess, bruised, battered, sloppy, messy, you know, left a wake behind him, like so many of us do, all the carnage out there, you know, we don't do it, listen, we're not doing anyone any favors, think about that, you're not, we're not holier than thou, when we go out the window, you know, we're acting just like, like Paul said, carnal people, we're no better, 
We jump out that window, we're joining the fray. And, and in the process, just to one-up everybody out there, all the people you like to turn your nose down, you're giving the Lord Jesus Christ a bad name. In the process. They're not even doing that. You're supposed to represent Christ. You're crawling out the window at night. You know, with your, you know, with your cross earring and your cross around your neck and your you know, John 3.16 shirt. Look at me, I'm a holy Christian. I just crawled out of the window of my father's house. Let's go wreak some havoc. Let's go do this thing together. I want to join in the fray with all you knuckleheads. So that when I go back, just so you know, because this is how wretched I am, I'm going to go back to the window and then look out the window and go like this. Eh. Eh. Unbelievers. Who's worse in that equation? At least they're ignorant. Seriously, who's worse? To whom much is given, what? Much is required. You know better. And you're the one crawling out windows. It's disgusting. And you're giving Christ a bad name. David knew all that, do you? Psalm 51, verse 3. For, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. That's what you get when you dwell in the household of the Lord. You get that. You are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. That's why he said, I'll take your justice because I have confidence in your perfect judgment. From our opening passage in Psalm 23, which is often dubbed the Shepherd's Psalm, up here on the board, Psalm 23, 4, Part B. Same person, same guy, David. Your rod, which is a symbol of discipline. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's like a paradox to most people. Maybe even some of you. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. Right? Your rod, just knowing that you love me enough to discipline me, just like you say you will, because you're a good father. Just knowing that you love me enough to discipline me, that comforts me. That's how we started off. Even in an earthly way, if you don't discipline your children, what's the message you're sending? I don't love you enough. I love myself more because it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Even though it's better for you, it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, so I'm not going to do it. In other words, I care more about myself than I do about you. That's the message you're sending. Which is why the Bible says exactly what it says about discipline. Which is why when you're rightly related, when you have the fear of God, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because the message God's sending is He loves you enough to reorient you when you're disoriented. Even though it might hurt. So I hope you're able to locate the wellspring of David's great confidence in the Lord. The foundation to it is his healthy fear of the Lord. That's the two things we're putting together this morning. It's getting knit together in a summary. 
of our, what, 12, 13 part series now. That's what's being knit together. Fear and confidence. Without fear of the Lord, you have no confidence. You're grasping at straws. Something fleshly has to fill in the vacuum. So I hope you see where David, perfect example of humility, got his confidence in the Lord from. The foundation of it was based on his fear of the Lord. These things add up to our working principle. We're coming back to it again. The dichotomy of a household. We are protected from without, but exposed from within. Speaking of fear, fear is framed this way in order to protect us. To dwell in the house of the Lord is to live comfortably and confidently. Comfortably and confidently. So our series title is the Lord is our confidence. This is what we're seeing in Holy Scripture. This is why we're seeing the things we're seeing. Why we even noted the dialogue that David's had with the Lord. Because the Lord was his confidence. He went back to where he could be uh, reset. A lot of us need that, I think. A lot of us just need to you know, shake off the chaos called life. And for you, some of you, Sunday mornings are that. You get a, like a reset. Do you know what I'm getting at? It's like, you, you remember the old electronics? You'd hit the reset button and everything would just go, like I'm thinking of Atari. You know? Ready? Chris Reddis? Atari, right? You used to hit the reset button. And it was like starting over. Everything started all over again. I'm thinking of uh, Lamentations, uh, what is it, 3, 23, 24. His faithfulness is renewed every morning. The reset button. Some of you just need that reset button. So our Lord is our confidence. And we have to remember also, the Lord is the head of our household. We are members of a family. That thing that David wanted, to dwell in the house of the Lord. Well, the Lord is the head of our household. We are members of his family. We've been adopted, remember? We've been adopted into this family, and it's a functional one. Some of you are like, finally. My earthly family is terrible. It's dysfunction all the way. Well, you have a functional family. So think about that. For many of us, we must trash the understanding we received from our dysfunctional earthly families to avoid superimposing it upon our heavenly one. I get it. I understand. For the most part this morning, we've been talking about functioning families. But so many of us came from dysfunctional families. And it's okay. We have to take any notion we got from that and throw it in the trash. We certainly can't superimpose our insecurities onto the household of faith. I know this is a task in of itself. So thank God he is patient in our sanctification because this stuff takes time. Some of you are still dragging around daddy issues or mommy issues or some of the issues I wrote about this past week in the blog. There's a lot of baggage for a lot of us. And so sanctification takes time. We don't get delivered from the scar tissue overnight. But for you to be delivered at all, you have to be humble, and your fear has to be rightly placed. 
And those things breed a little thing called confidence. Again, we are family, and Christ is the head, our master, our Lord. We ought to submit to him with healthy fear. Go to Ephesians 5.23. Ephesians 5.23. We must submit to him. Why do you submit to him? Because you fear him. You have a healthy fear, a respect for him even. Ephesians 5.23, we see the analog to a Christian marriage. Remember, men, you're supposed to be like Christ in your marriage. Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. And so we have this absolute dogmatic statement of fact that Christ is the head of of the church is the head of our family. On Thursday, we considered the difficulty of orienting to this family. If we're honest with ourselves, most of us have enough baggage to frustrate the process. That's why sanctification takes time. Here's the advice from the pulpit on Thursday. First, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. That's the first order, always. If you're having difficulty, um, if you think your sanctification is a slow-going process, join the club, but pray. If you're not praying, you're missing the boat. You have to pray. You have to get down with God. You have to have a real conversation with God. And I'm not talking about Driving to work with Metallica playing. I'm talking about, or even Caleb, shut that off. I'm talking about having a, a real conversation with God uh, in, your, in a quiet place. A place where you can fellowship, not say hi from a distance. Are you still there, Jesus? Do you still love me? And you're crawling out the window. Are you going to be here when I get back? That's the conversation a lot of people have, I think. So here's the advice from Thursday. Pray without ceasing, and then crawl if you must. Do it. Crawl. You know, no one ever said that living the spiritual life was going to be... um, What's the right word? I want to say glorious, but uh, spick and span. What's the right word I'm looking for instead of glorious? Thank you. No one ever said it's going to be a bed of roses. Why is the guy who doesn't come here say it? The one person in here. Shame on you. Thank you, sir. No one ever said that. That's not in the Bible. You should be encouraged by that. Crawl if you must. That's better than sitting in, a, in an armchair, is it not? It's better than sitting there like a lump of coal and doing nothing. At least you're moving. Crawl. God knows you and all of your ugly warts. 
even better than you do. And still, He chose you to become an instrument of righteousness to bring glory to Him. Up here on the board, this is from Thursday. So be it. Accept who you are. If you're crawling right now, but at least you're here. Some people aren't here this morning. Not sure what they're doing. Accept who you are. God makes no mistakes. Depend wholly on the grace of God to sustain you, even if you're crawling towards the finish line. 2 Timothy 4.7, 1 Corinthians 15.10. I got some correspondence from uh, Kenya this past weekend. And uh, one of the... the uh, what's that buddy's name in Kenya? Yeah, Joshua. Joshua Makua. Makua he's, he said, I love it. He goes, even if you're crawling towards the finish line. He's like, I'm in my 50s. I used to walk 50 miles a day. No problem. He goes, now I walk 20 and it's, it's labored. He goes, we're just going to keep on crawling, brother. Keep pressing on. Keep doing that thing. And that's encouraging. Crawl if you, ha- if you must. What matters most is your humility. Up here on the board. Humility. Humility quickens sanctification, arrogance frustrates it. His word clearly states that he gives grace to the humble, but is opposed to the arrogant. God chose your life. It's arrogant to buck his choices. What are you complaining about, in other words? What is it? it you know, God didn't measure up to your um, preconceptions about, you know, the little cape with the white picket fence and the two and a half kids and the dog and the cat and the, dro- the job and the, you know, the, the two nice cars in the driveway and the convertible and then the, you know, the, the bikes on the roof rack and the canoes and the kayaks and the, um, I don't know, what else do you guys dream about being an American? What did you dream about when you were a kid? I don't know. It's kind of arrogant, though, to ever grumble or murmur or complain, considering the simple fact that the God of all grace, the one who chose to save you, also chose your life and said, I need you to stay right where you're at and I want you to bring glory to me. So stop striving after the wind. Read Ecclesiastes. Stop striving after the wind. Vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. It's all garbage. Same book, end. The end of it all, fear God, keep his commandments. Right? Stop doing all that garbage in between. Stop crawling out the windows looking for little, um, you know, adulterous escapades when dad's supposedly sleeping. Stop doing that little stuff behind the scenes, you know. Stop playing games. Stop being malcontent. You have nothing to be malcontent about. Nothing. You get to go to heaven. You get to go to heaven, and you have the audacity to complain about your life. And oh, by the way, when you doubt him, when you have fears about, oh, I'm not going to have enough money, I'm not going to have enough this, or I'm not going to have enough that, or enough, there's not enough time, that's an insult to him. You're basically saying your grace is not sufficient for me. I don't have enough 
Oh, friends, I, don't, I, I, need a, I, need a, I need a wife now. I need a husband now. I'll take anybody at this point. I'm 50. Those, all those things are desperate or, what's the right word? Insults. To the gracious, holy God of the universe. Because God chose your life. So what are you doing crawling out the window? Where's your confidence? Apparently it's out there. What do you fear more? Missing out on what's out the window. Your actions speak so loud, I don't hear a word you're saying. Oh no, I love the Lord. I fear the Lord. I, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord like, like David. Yeah, like David. Then why are you crawling out the window? Who do you fear? Where is your confidence? You obviously have more confidence in your own ability to choose for yourself outside of the household of the Lord. Or even more sinister and more grotesque and disgusting and heinous is you live a double life and you think nobody knows about it. But God does. Some of you are the best actresses and actors the world has ever known. Maybe you should go to Hollywood. I read a Horrible, nightmarish story about a young woman that I used to know, a couple years older than me. My sister Kathy was really good friends with her. She basically drank herself to death. Her liver shut down at 39 years old, done. Two kids gone, done. No one even really knew. Raging alcoholic, died. No one even knew until it was too late. Why? She was living a double life. Living a double life. It's a perfect illustration of some of you. You're living a double life. She had laundry bags. The mother counted it. Five gallons of vodka. Emptied. It, you know, stuffed between socks and clothing and stuff like that, so no one would see that type of stuff. Is that you? Seriously. Is that you? I don't know. I can't answer that for you. But the end is destruction, just like the Bible says. You don't need crutches from outside the window. You don't need to be sneaking around living a double life. That is disaster. Just remember, and this is where you get your confidence from, God chose your life. It's good advice. It's biblical advice. It's arrogant to buck his choices. Again, up here on the board, from this past week, so be it. Accept who you are. God makes no mistakes. Depend wholly on the grace of God to sustain you, even if you're crawling towards the finish line. A couple of verses right here that we quoted. 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. You get the, the sense that Paul crawled as necessary. Um, I just lost my slides, guys. Excuse me for a moment. Yeah, just start it over again.
Again, I have fought the fight. This is Paul's good words. I have fought the fight. I have finished, or excuse me, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. 1 Corinthians 15.10, same guy, same humility, same fear of the Lord, same love for the Lord, same desire as David to dwell in the house of the Lord. Imperfect? You bet. Admits it. Read Romans 7. Does the thing he doesn't want to do, doesn't do the thing he wants to do. 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, and Paul's humility is on full display, but the grace of God with me. Let me go on my slides here. Excuse me for a moment. Good, good. So here's the point, and this is residual carryover from this past week. Crawling. You may say, you may say there's just no glory in that. It's just, um, I can't think of the word. Crawling by the grace of God is an acceptable form of worship because of one reason. Maybe not the best, okay? Maybe you're not at an all-time high. Huh. But you know what? It's in the right direction. It may not be pretty. How about that? But it's in the right direction. And that's always a good thing. Some of you are currently going in the wrong direction. I would argue some people that aren't here this morning, that may definitely be true. That's why they're not here. Some of you are currently, though, even present, going in the wrong direction, allowing the kingdom of darkness to infect your thinking. And you remember all that little tirade I had about the double living, the dip sukos, the double life when no one's looking? That's how it starts. Okay? That's exactly how it starts. You start, you know, flirting with the world. It's gonna go out for it's gonna go out for five minutes. I'm gonna sit on the I'm gonna sit on the second story roof line. Just look at the stars. Right? And then all of a sudden, la 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 la. Right? It's usually the opposite sex, usually, but whatever happens to be, you know, la 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 la. For some of you, it's a beer can. La 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 la. Ah, look at that. Oh, I, I got to go say hello. So what do you do? Climb down the trellis or jump off if you're fearless. Jump off, go say hi, next name. Or, you know, whatever you fancy. Next thing you know, it's. Hey, let's go for a little walk. Let's take a little walk. Some, for some of you, I'm describing uh, certain social apps. Let's take a little walk. It's harmless. We're just friends. We're just friends, right? We're friends here, right? Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so do his agents. Counterfeits, if you would. Get back in the window. Crawl if you have to. Some of you are currently going in the wrong direction, allowing the kingdom of darkness to infect your thinking. What used to be sound thinking has been lost to the world. 
Wake up. That's all I can tell you. Wake up. God didn't create you so you could dishonor Christ's work on the cross. You got it? God didn't create you so you could dishonor Christ's work on the cross. God didn't save you so you could turn your back on Him in favor of fellowshipping with the world. God created you because He had a real purpose in mind. Go to Ephesians 2, verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10. I've got to pick a spot to close. Like I said, I'm not going to get through my notes, but that's fine. I think the Spirit has spoken well to us this morning, as He always does. Hopefully you were listening. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. What kind of works? Good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We have a purpose. We're each given a purpose. It's not to dishonor Christ. It's not to say, hey, thanks for the trip to heaven. I'm going out the window like Superman. I think I'll end on this next point right here. Respect God's choices. And do not miss the fact that when I use the word respect here, fear of the Lord is there in full force. Fear of the Lord. If you have a fear of the Lord, then you respect His choices, right? Respect God's choices. God has made divine choices regarding your life. And He's also given you faith to sustain you. So you cannot begrudge Him. You cannot say that He hasn't done His part by grace. God doesn't, God's not in the habit of throwing commands at us and saying, Good luck! He asks us to do things to His glory as instruments of righteousness, and He provides every bit of faith required to accomplish the task. Every bit of grace meets that command. Now, I don't know what to tell you if you decide. Now, all of that, of course, is in a well-functioning home, right? All of that, of course, is inside that dwelling place. There's not scripture other than you will be disciplined. It's not good out there. I can't teach you. I can give you anecdotes from my own life, from other people's lives, who give me permission of what happens outside the window when you crawl outside and live a double life. I can't tell you much more than you reap what you sow. That's why some of you are miserable. I can't tell you, but what I can tell you is that inside the household of the Lord, it functions well. God says, here's my command. This will bring glory to me. And by the way, I'm going to grace you out with enough faith to accomplish it. A lot to think about this morning, my friends. Uh, Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this incredible privilege to study your word. 
Thank you for always cutting to the chase with us. Thank you for not giving us any escape clauses or allowing us to sneak out because we know that you're watching. We know that you see our hearts, Father, the way that sometimes we don't even see our own. For this, we're so grateful for this time you've given us here this morning to sanctify us. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to our homes and the quiet places of our fellowship with your Spirit that we might meet you in prayer, Father. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. We just ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.